The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. Well, if you have not already, let me invite you to open up a Bible, a pew Bible or your Bible from home to Genesis 23. Genesis chapter 23, we are uh, continuing and moving towards the conclusion of our uh, sermon series of Genesis 23 about the faith of our father, the life of Abraham. And Genesis 23... Uh, on the surface, might appear to be somewhat obscure, strange in the narrative, but let me say that I'm so thankful for this chapter, I'm so thankful for this passage, because uh, it, it is really chapters like this that, uh, that motivate my love for the Bible so very much in terms of what the Bible is doing in the big picture. Genesis 23 is a fantastic uh, illustration for us about what God is doing in the whole big picture uh, as it relates to our individual lives, the experiences of our individual lives, and how those lives fit into the big picture of what God is doing. Genesis 23 points us in that direction, but I'm also thankful for this passage because uh, it allows us to address something that is so very important, but that is unfortunately often taboo for discussion in our culture. Um, I was uh, reading about this and it was, uh, it was pointed out the fact that in, oh, Victorian England, uh, in, in that age of life, uh, there was a topic that was very much favorable to speak of, meaning it was okay to talk about, and another topic that it was not okay, it was not appropriate. Uh, back in, in that era, uh, Victorian England, uh, death, was a topic that was very much in fashion to speak of. And sex was a topic that you were not to speak of. It's interesting that in the world today, it's the opposite, isn't it? Uh, we are an infatuated culture with sex and sexuality, and nobody is thinking appropriately about death. And, of course, that's a, a somber note to begin a text in, but... Uh, I have told you this before because it was taught to me that perhaps one of the simplest explanations of ministry is walking alongside a congregation and helping them learn how to die faithfully. The mortality rate of the human race is still 100%. And this issue is one that the Christian faith absolutely transforms the way we look at this issue compared to those who do not have an anchor of hope in Jesus Christ. And Genesis 23 points us in this direction that is so deeply meaningful. So if you haven't already, let's do open together to Genesis 23 and let us first pray and then we will hear God's word together. Our God, we bow before you with your scriptures open before us and Lord, we pause to say how thankful we are for the Bible what a great privilege it is to have your word in a language that we know, that we can understand. And yet, Lord, just because we can read the words, it doesn't mean that they permeate our hearts. And so, Lord, we pray that your spirit would come upon us to soften our hearts, to make them ready to be planted with the word of God. We pray, Lord, that our minds would be illuminated to hear, to receive, to understand, our ears ready. We pray, Lord, that we would be a people to faithfully receive your word today and that, Lord, that you, by your grace, would 
would make me faithful to teach it. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us, for we stand in need of your help today. And yet, Lord, you promise, you promise to send your spirit to give our aid. And so, Lord, we, we ask you for that now, in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. And now hear God's word from Genesis 23. This is the word of God. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my lord, you are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land, and he said to them, if you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me, Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites of all who went in at the gate of his city. No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land. And he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will, hear me. I give you the price of the field. Accept it from me, that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, My Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron. And Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites. 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron in Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah east of Mamre, that is in Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever and ever. So may he write its eternal truth upon our hearts as we keep our Bibles open here in Genesis 23. Uh, now, as I said, this is one of those texts that is of... Uh, 
great significance for understanding parts amidst the whole of the Bible. And if you've got uh, your insert there in uh, your bulletin, you'll see that we want to just understand two main sections here. And we're really just going to summarize this chapter under this first heading, a land acquisition, but then ask the question, what does this mean for the foundation for our hope in the Christian faith? So uh, first of all, this idea of a land acquisition. And it may seem on the surface that this text is just that, some type of uh, merchant-based, con- contract-based land acquisition, but this is no mere business transactions. You know, funeral directors tell us that it's best to pre-plan our arrangements so that in the midst of grief, we're not going about making decisions. And Abraham is doing the opposite of that advice here. And real estate agents tell us that it's best to operate with a certified agency so as not to pay inflated prices for pieces of property. More than that, it's not good business practice to take the first offer when it comes to a financial exchange for property, and Abraham does that. So if you're just looking at this as a a mode of business transaction, a land acquisition, a a property purchase, uh, you're missing the point. Because the Bible is, of course, God's word for his covenant people. And so we must ask the question, what does Abraham's land acquisition have to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ and his unfolding salvation for his people? And we find in that much truth. Uh, but first of all, we just want to summarize what's happening here in the text. I want to just walk through the narrative quickly so as we understand kind of the, uh, the back and forth that happens in this dialogue between Abraham and the Hittite elders there in the land of Canaan. This is, uh, over the whole, a story of God and his promises that Abraham is believing, but he doesn't receive them in fullness, of course, because faith lays hold of what it doesn't see, and Abraham has promises that he is believing in, that he is seeing from afar, and he's grasping hold of, but it's a very small portion of the promise. And this chapter, of course, deals with Sarah. We're introduced to that right away in verse 1. Sarah is, of course, Abraham's wife. We learn that she lived to be 127 years old. And if Sarah is 127 years old, we can estimate here that her son, Isaac, is about the age 36 or 37. And so Sarah, who was promised to bear a son in her old age, lives long enough to see that promised son grow into adulthood. And isn't it fascinating that Sarah is the only woman in the entire Bible whose age is reported at the time of her death? Uh, Many women are reported in terms of a time span, but only Sarah is reported her age at the time of her death, which suggests to us that Sarah is significant among all women in the scriptures. And we can scarcely say how important Sarah was to Abraham. Think of this. Sarah is, of course, the matriarch if Abraham is the patriarch. That Sarah had wandered faithfully alongside her husband Abraham for 60 years in the land of Canaan as God called Abraham out of his homeland into the land of Canaan. They were married, perhaps, for in the neighborhood of 100 years. A 100-year-long marriage, 
And uh, just out of curiosity, I checked. As of today, the world record for the longest marriage is 86 years, 292 days. It's a couple in North Carolina. But it's not 100 years. Abraham and Sarah, 100 years. And now Abraham has lost his wife of 100 years. It's also interesting to note, and I put the, the citations there in your insert, that Sarah is also the only woman in the Bible that all women are called to emulate. Uh, in Isaiah and in 1 Peter, uh, women are instructed to remember Sarah and consider her faithfulness and her godliness. Among all women, Sarah stands out. And now, Abraham's Sarah, his dear wife, has died, and Abraham is in a position of needing to honor his wife with a burial plot. But the problem is, is that he doesn't own any land. He has been sojourning and traveling in a land that is not the land of his forefathers. He is a stranger here, and as he wants to bury his dear wife, he's faced with a circumstance in which he must trust. He must trust that God will provide for him a place to bury his wife. Now, if you remember, as we've been studying Genesis together, we've been remembering God's promises to Abraham, and the Abrahamic covenant involved three elements, and we've been repeating them over and over and over again. What are they? They are the promises of land, seed, and blessing. And this chapter is especially focused on the promise of land, because God promised to Abraham that you and your offspring would have this land. But as it stands right now, Abraham is not a landowner. He doesn't own any property. And so he doesn't have a place to bury his wife. And chapter 23 is the narrative of how Abraham trusts God and his promise of a land in the midst of his great grief at losing his wife. So we find Abraham mourning Sarah at the end of verse 2. Mourning his wife and weeping for his wife, but then rising up to secure a burial plot. And we see in verses 3 through 6, what Abraham is doing here is he is approaching, if you like, the city council of the Hittites, the council of the elders, those who sit at the gate. At the end of verse 10, you find that reference, those who are in at the gate of the city. Uh, it's with reference to city officials, city elders. And Abraham, the foreigner and the stranger, goes to the city council of the Hittites to secure a burial place for Sarah. And he says to them that he's just a sojourner. Verse 4, I don't really belong here, but here I am among you. And despite Abraham's own view of himself, the Hittites, of course, have learned of Abraham. They call him, verse 6, the prince of God. And so although Abraham approaches the elders in humility, the elders know who this man is. And so they'll have their moment with him to hear what he wants. What's interesting is that there's this back and forth that happens between Abraham and the elders. The first thing that happens is that the Hittite elders tell Abraham, Abraham, you can bury your wife in one of our tombs. We'll share it with you. And to that, Abraham rejects it. Because, as kind of an offer as it is, if Abraham buries his wife in a tomb that doesn't belong to him, it doesn't establish him as a landowner in Canaan. And he's trying to acquire property. Abraham, rather than take a borrowed tomb, is willing to pay full price for an entire field. 
just so he can own one portion of that, the cave. Uh, the man specifically that Abraham is dealing with, his name is Ephron, and we see in verse 11 that since Abraham is not willing to, to bury Sarah in a borrowed tomb, Ephron just says to Abraham, well, if you won't take my, my charity in terms of sharing it, I'll just give you it, and you can have it for free. We find that in verse 11. And to that also generous offer, Abraham says again, no, I don't want a shared tomb, and I don't want a charitable tomb. He says in verse 13 that he will pay for it. Verse 13, Abraham says to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, but if you will hear me, I give you the price of the field. Abraham wants to pay for this. And the price that he is willing to pay is 400 shekels. 400 shekels for one field. Now, uh, we understand Land acquisition and uh, the, the, the acreage rate, a dollar per acre of field acquisition in the world today, and uh, shekel acquisition of a field price doesn't exactly translate here. But Abraham is willing to pay 400 shekels for one field so he can get a cave at the corner of the field. Now, it's interesting that if you fast forward 1,500 years in the Bible, Jeremiah is going to also buy a field, and he's going to pay 17 shekels for one field. And you should ask yourself the question, does the rate of inflation increase that much over the course of the Bible? That is 2,253% inflation that Abraham is willing to pay now for a field. Abraham is willing to pay that price. It speaks to the fact that uh, Ephron was probably expecting Abraham to haggle a bit. Here's the price. Surely you'll want to talk me down, but that's not the case at all. Abraham is willing to pay an exorbitant amount of money for one piece of property, for a burial place for his wife. And the reason why Abraham is willing to do this is because in Hittite culture, we actually have uh, records of some of their moral codes and their law codes and their property codes that suggest that if a land was purchased for a price that was beneath market value, that no matter how many generations later, if any generation into the future wanted to go back to the current landowners and say, 400 years ago, my relative sold you this property, but it was under market value, Hittite law allowed them to reclaim the property. Regardless of how many generations they had owned it, if it was seen that previously it was a bad deal, the claim could be taken away. And Abraham knows this, which is why he is willing to pay, again, an exorbitant amount of money to ensure that no matter what, no one in the future could claim that I didn't pay for this, that I don't really truly own this, that it really truly doesn't belong to my family. Abraham is protecting his future posterity to own this tract of land. And you see at the end, in verses 17 through 20, essentially a survey given to say, here's the topography of the land. Abraham essentially registers it with the county clerk. It's really his. He really owns it. And what was all this for? Why the back and forth and the exorbitant price? Because Abraham now owns. It's just a field, but he now has ownership of a portion of the land of Canaan, 
the land, the same land that God said, I will give you this land. And up till this point, there's no foothold of ownership into Canaan. And now there is. Now there is ownership. As small as it is, there's a foothold. And he wants it because of the cave for a family burial plot. Abraham will lay his wife of 100 years to rest in this cave. And in the future, Abraham is going to be buried in this same cave. And as you read the rest of the story of Genesis, Isaac and Rebekah and Leah and Jacob, all the generations of Abraham's family will all be buried in this family burial plot, this cave that Genesis 23 teaches us about. And at the end of the book of Genesis, when you read about Joseph going into Egypt, when Joseph comes to die, he tells his family, take me back to Canaan. I want to be buried with my fathers and with my mothers. And chapter 23 explains how this family burial plot comes into being. And it's all underneath this reality that God promised to Abraham that he would have this land, all of the land of Canaan. And Abraham is willing to buy this land, looking forward to the fact that God has promised he would have it all and that his generations would have all of this land. Now, what, what does that mean? And I would suggest that it means to us absolutely everything because it points to the covenant promises of God and the foundation for all of our hope. Now, this story is explained more for us actually in Hebrews chapter 11. So if you want to turn over in the New Testament to the book of Hebrews and chapter 11, you definitely want to look there as we find again an explanation. And you find that often in the book of Hebrews connecting to Abraham's story and the story of the Old Testament. The book of Hebrews explains it. But especially this account of, of the family burial plot, of the, the future fulfillment of the promises of God. What's going on here? And we find here that Hebrews 11 explains this for us. You want to be looking at Hebrews 11, especially verse 9. Hebrews 11 verse 9 says that by faith he, that is Abraham, went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. And the promise is the promise of God's covenant, land, seed, blessing. Verse 10 says that Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Skip down to verse 16. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Now, listen to the way the Bible explains your life and the way it explains Abraham's life. We are, as Christian people, God's covenant people, sojourners in a land that doesn't really belong to us. And Abraham lived that reality, but we are not really keen to that mentality today because we like ownership and we like feeling like we're belonging, but the Bible tells us that as Christian believers, we're sojourners through this land and we're looking forward to something more 
The Bible says it's a city that has foundations. And the way it explains Genesis 23 is that Abraham was by faith looking forward to that same city. That Abraham was traveling through this world. The same world that we are traveling in. And Abraham was believing God's promises. The same promises that we are believing in as we look together with Abraham to the city that has foundations. Whose designer and builder is God. Look also at verse 13 as it speaks about the generations of faithful people who have died. Verse 13 says, these all died in faith. Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, Leah, your faithful grandparents and mine. Verse 13 says, these died in faith. Not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, living and dying in faith, trusting in the God who fulfills his promises, even if we don't currently have them in our possession. That's what Abraham was doing when he acquired this land, believing God's promises. They were looking to the city that has foundations. And we look to the same city. And you know why we do this is, of course, because Jesus has died. And the covenant promises given to Abraham are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ was laid in, in that time, a borrowed tomb because he wouldn't need it long, of course. Because by virtue of his resurrection, he has begun the inbreaking of the new creation that's going to be fulfilled one day. And you and I live in between those times of the first resurrection of Jesus Christ and his return. And we're looking forward to the fulfillment of all of those promises. And the Bible says that Abraham was as well. And you and I are as well. That because of Jesus' resurrection, Abraham can lay Sarah in the tomb, believing that he will see his wife again one day in resurrection glory in the new city that has foundations that he was looking toward. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, the grave has lost its sting. And do you see why this is so important for Christian believers to ponder? Because death is something that we avoid. We don't want to talk about it. And yet, the Christian believer, by faith, can peer into the darkness of death and realize that it is but the valley that we pass through and the river that we cross to enter into the glories of the age to come. And in Genesis, we see events unfolding that are thousands of years before Jesus' resurrection. And because we live on the other side of it, the point still remains that we're looking forward. As the book of Hebrews says, we're all looking forward and believing God's promises beyond to a city, a city that is still to come, a celestial city. If you are not familiar with uh, John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, the way he explains Christian entering that city and the glories that adorn the city and the streets and the, the, the clothing that they wear and the things that they speak of and the glory of the king that they behold. You need to go back and read that great book because you and I as Christian believers, just like Abraham, are sojourning on our way to that celestial city. Abraham and Sarah, and if the Lord tarries, you and I, 
will live and die in a faith, in a promise that is still yet to be held, still yet to be seen and realized. But that doesn't mean that our hope is in vain. We live in this truth. We live in this faith. Now, as I spent a good bit of time this past week lingering on this thought, you know, this this touches us all, as I said, and it touches us all in various emotional ways, and I'm, I'm not trying to, to push on those places in your heart unnecessarily, but you and I have left loved ones at the graveside. Believing, believing that God's promises are true, just like Abraham did. And the Bible calls you and I to live in the faith of Abraham, believing and trusting in yet what you do not see because we have a God who is faithful to fulfill his promises. Psalm 59, verse 16 and 17 says, I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning because you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. O my strength, I will sing praises to you, for you, O God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. And the book of Hebrews said that God is not ashamed for Abraham to call him his God. And God is not ashamed for you and I to call God our God, because we trust in him. This is where hope speaks the loudest in Genesis 23 and at the graveside when we believe the gospel in light of the face of death because we sung it together in our opening hymn. Jesus lives that death may die and there is hope. Abraham's faith looked past his grief to the hope and the promises of a faithful God and the Bible calls you and I to do the same thing to rest and trust in the promises of a faithful God in the midst of life and in the face of death where hope speaks the loudest. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that by your great grace you give to us promises that we can cling to and when our strength fails us, promises that will hold us up. Father, we have known grief and we have known sorrow, but you pledge that a day is coming when all tears will be wiped away. And so, Lord, we pray that you would minister to us in ways that we need to calm our fears and to attend to our sorrows, to wipe away our tears. We thank you that because Jesus is alive, all of our hopes are founded on strong and safe ground. Help us to believe this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.